Each week this month, we've read the two great commandments, and we have asked ourselves, how do our focuses or foci, technically, right, but it sounds so weird, how, how do we focus on gospel community, hospitality, and evangelism? Does that help us toward understanding and obeying these two great commandments to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus said the entirety of the law and the prophets hang on these two things, pretty important for the church. We've been talking about how the gospel encourages us to do that, how, how, communi how community encourages us to do that, and how hospitality encourages us to do that. I encourage you to go to the website. You can listen to those sermons this week if you want to be reminded of those things. But today we specifically turn to this idea of evangelism. And our focus on evangelism as a church, how does it help us toward understanding and obeying what it means to love God with heart, soul, and mind, and love neighbor as self, right? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and maybe you're here interested in going, what do these people really want me to know? This idea of evangelism, of, of speaking some sort of news into my life, what do they want me to know? And today's a great day. You're going to get to hear exactly what we'd like you to know. But it's not just that. It's also on another level. We, and particularly God in His Word, want you to know that there is more to life than what you're focused on right now. And you want to know why you need to hear that, but we need to hear that too? Those of us who profess faith, I do profess faith, I believe in Jesus. You want to know why I need to hear this message? Because it is very hard to live in this world and to not be distracted. This passage tells us about a specific call that Paul makes. Paul also gives us a caution in this passage that goes along with this call. And then finally, he gives us the motivation, the energy, the impetus, if you will, the motivation for pursuing this call. And I want to show you that in light of evangelism. Paul has said in verse 24 that there is a call that's specific it's really good when you read the Bible to look at the verbs, right? The verbs are helpful, especially when there's an, a verb that's an imperative that says, do this. And so look at the call with me, if you will. Verse 24 is where it's written in this passage. Again, it's on page 957 if you're not there. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And then here's the call. Are you ready? First part. So run that you may obtain it. This is the call. Run the race in order to win the prize is what Paul says here. And it's the call on our life. What race are you running? What constitutes for you a win? What constitutes for you a win? Is it that you one-up somebody in an argument? Is it that you have a successful day at work? Is it that you just survive the day? And look, I get it. <laughs> there are times in our lives that that is the win, right? Just surviving the day. But the Apostle Paul has a call for us here. It says, run the race in order to win, is what he says. So what are we to win? 
Well, I want to say that to see this call is a change of focus. And I want you to see that what the Apostle Paul says is it's a change of focus from a position of personal freedom to a position of servanthood. All right, let me show you where I see that really quickly. Look here in verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And if you keep reading down through there, you're going to see that the Apostle Paul talks about winning three or four more times. So these, this race to win references us back to this idea of our focus. Our focus being a change of focus from personal freedom to servanthood. And then in verse 22, I want you to see how he says it another way. Just at the end of that first paragraph, he just rephrases that verse 19. In verse 22, he says this, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says this, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. The next chapter, in, verse, in chapter 10, he says that I do not seek my own advantage, he says, but I seek the advantage of others. The call that the Apostle Paul has in this passage specifically, and in this passage that talks about proclaiming the good news of Christ, is actually becoming a servant to others instead of taking full advantage of the freedom that we have. The freedom that we have that we are bound to no one, the Apostle Paul says. He is bound to no one, and yet he makes himself a servant of all. It's a pretty amazing passage. And you wonder, why does he change his focus? Why, instead of pursuing freedom, is it now an attitude of servanthood? An attitude of making others' advantage more important than his? And that call is to remove the obstacles that are in the way. Look at how he says it here in verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says again, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. That I might win some. This reference to the Jews and to becoming as one under the law, most commentators believe that he is referencing the time when he wanted to have Timothy come and follow with him into the Jewish neighborhoods and towns. And Timothy, whose father was Greek, Paul said, why don't you go ahead and get baptized? So that you can come and be with the Jews, and though you don't have to get, or excuse me, baptized, circumcised, excuse me, thank you. I, I almost got, I, somebody's got to correct big things like that, all right? Just raise your hand if you, if you hear that kind of thing. To be circumcised, and though it's the law of the Old Testament, and Paul said, we're not under that law, though I, I came under that law. And this is an example with Timothy. I circumcised him so that when we would go and present the gospel to the Jews, the fact that Timothy wasn't circumcised wouldn't be a stumbling block. And he says to those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law. There was another time when he took Titus along with him. And Titus, who had not been circumcised, he didn't make him be circumcised. 
He resisted that anybody would make him be circumcised so that those outside the law would also understand the gospel clearly without a stumbling block. And maybe the clearest one that we have is when he says, to the weak I became weak. And it's not the first time he's mentioned the weak. The last two chapters he's been talking about the weak. And he says, look, if there's somebody that's weak and, and you eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols is going to make them stumble, then don't eat meat. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, I didn't never eat meat again. He goes, I don't have a problem eating meat, but if somebody else does in my eating, my freedom puts obstacles in their way, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to step away from that. The call is not just a change of focus from self and personal freedom, but the call that the Apostle Paul gives in this, this mode and this privilege of evangelism is actually doing everything that you can do to remove the obstacles that stop you and me from being able to proclaim Christ freely where we are. And then finally, he says one other thing. He says in this idea of this call that it isn't just a change of focus or a removal of obstacles, but it's an investment in that which is imperishable. And again, go down and read this with me again. He says in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? He says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and imperishable. The Apostle Paul is challenging us as he communicates to the Corinthians and challenges them, invest in that which is imperishable. And again, I want to ask you, what is a win in your life? Is a win in your life a great athletic performance? Guess what? After your life is over, nobody's going to remember your athletic performance. It's gone. It's gone. Is a great win in your life seeing that company that you invested in actually becoming public and having a massive windfall? Is that the win that organizes your life? Is it the win that organizes your life to challenge someone and be vindicated in your own righteousness? What is a win for you? The Apostle Paul challenges us to say, don't be invested in that which is perishable, but that which is imperishable. And there are only three realities in this entire world of anything that is imperishable. Do you know what they are? Do you think you could name them? God. <laughs> God would be imperishable, right? God is imperishable. God actually says that his word is imperishable. He says his word's not going anywhere. And you want to know the other thing that God says is imperishable? The souls of women and men. Imperishable. Thus I gave you the quote in the beginning of your order of worship from C.S. Lewis that says that we never interact with a mere mortal when we interact with other human beings. But we interact with a soul that is going to exist forever. Imperishable. And the Apostle Paul encourages us here, invest in that which is imperishable. Do you remember I told you I got a strange package in the mail the other day? It's been a couple years now, and, and this idea 
was interesting. This guy told me, hey, look, the markets are going to collapse and you need a piece of gold for you to be uh, solid when the markets collapse. And granted, he's a gold salesman and he believes in that stuff. And so he sent me one gold coin and I was like, that's going to do a lot of good. That doesn't even pay one month's rent. But the idea is this is what's going to be the standard. It's always going to be there. It's always going to last. And you go, no, it's not. Gold is perishable. What are you investing in? Are you investing in that which is imperishable? God, his word, and the souls of women and men. There is nothing else that is imperishable. And then there's a caution, right? The caution is seen in verse 27. If that's the call, then the second thing we look at is the caution. Look at it. He says this, But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, it might be interesting for you to read the footnote there where it says in verse 27, right there after the under control, it has a little one there, right? And this is one of those places where you can go and look in the Bible and, and the original language helps you see the in intensity with which he is speaking. And he says down at the bottom, I pummel my body and I make it a slave, lest in the end I am disqualified. We were praying about this passage in prayer meeting this Wednesday, and we really began to see this links it all together. You know, I used to love this verse, I beat my body and I make it my slave. I loved it. In, in fact, it's still the typical routine in my exercise during the week that somewhere during the week, I make my heart race so fast that Jeff Wilbert calls me and says, are you okay? Because he's watching my stats, right? And he's like, that's dangerous. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, ask Dave, it's not that dangerous. And I'm going to be okay. But I love this idea of beating my body. But you want to know something? It's one of those great passages that I totally took out of context. And if you think this context has to do with how you exercise and, and govern self-control about the chocolate that you eat or the alcohol that you don't consume, that's not what this is about. When the Apostle Paul says, I pummel my body and I make it my slave, lest after preaching I become disqualified, he's pointing us back to the passage that says, though I'm free to all, I become a servant or a slave. I enslave myself to others. And what is he saying? He is saying that in this situation, when we are called to become servants to others, there's a great danger and there's a great caution to be understood. That we as Christians are encouraged to enter into the lives of those we love, to study them, to know them, to understand them. When Mita and I talked about coming to Newton, to plant a church. The reason that we came to Newton is because Mita and I said we grew up in a community like Newton. And we said this offhandedly. We know the idols of Newton. We know them. The idols of education and of success, of entertainment, of escape. We know those idols. But the danger in us becoming all things to all people the danger of us giving up our freedom and becoming servants of those is the danger of getting sucked into those idols ourselves. That's the danger here that the Apostle Paul is talking about. 
The idea of focusing on that which is perishable instead of that which is imperishable. How do I know this? How do I see this? Well, it's in the verses that I'm not going to preach to you. All of chapter 10 points to this reality. The Apostle Paul says, you better be careful because the likelihood of falling into the idols of the culture in which you live is so real that the only extreme challenge is to beat our bodies and make them our slaves so that after preaching, we might not become disqualified. He says, look at the past experiences of the Israelites, even in the promised land. Though God himself, the creator of the universe, brought them in, how quickly they turned and worshiped the gods of the land. And don't we see that in our own lives? Honestly, don't we see that? The power of desire and the power of pleasure and the power of experience that's around us all the time. I read an article by this, by, by this guy named Kevin Williamson. Um, I've had it for a few weeks. I've been mulling around with it. If you want to know the title of it, I'll tell you afterward. Come up and see me. I don't want to distract you, and it would definitely distract you from the rest of this sermon. But if you want to know the title, come and talk to me about it. He ends up talking about the hollowing out of marriage, but not just marriage, but of our view today of sexuality. And I want to read to you this this quote from him, and it'll make sense in that. He said, it is not just the invention of birth control pill or the adoption of no-fault divorce that hollowed out marriage. And as the article goes on, he, he explains hollowing out our view of sex and sexuality more generally. It was that we became the sort of people who desired those things. We became... The Western civilization became the kids who flunked the test in the famous Stanford marshmallow experiment. Unable to resist immediate gratification and having stripped ourselves of the cultural basis for understanding the distinction. Unable to tell the difference between pleasure and happiness, he says. The danger that Paul is saying of becoming all things to all people so that by all means we might win some is the danger of being swept up into the idolatry of our passions and of our desires and of our pursuits. It's amazing to sit and think about the reality of that in our own lives we have seen how that desire isolates us. The moment that that passion or pursuit that you love becomes the number one thing in your life, what happens to your circle of friends? Just tell me. It becomes smaller, right? It's who you're with. When it becomes the center, it becomes all that you're with. And if you trace the pursuit of your desires and passions, the desires of the body to experience, the desires to live according to the idea of finding life in anything other than Christ. 
it leads to isolation and to aloneness. I was with campus ministers this weekend with Reform University Fellowship, and they said, you know, it used to be the case that when you came into the dining hall, nobody wanted to sit alone. In fact, if you go into the dining hall, you go, I just am going to go in if there's somebody I can sit with. And they said the interesting thing these days in the dining halls of the campuses in the universities of our city is that you go in and everyone's alone. Everyone's alone. Earbuds in, Netflix on, watching their show and eating lunch. Everyone's alone. Studies demonstrate very clearly that the increased use of social media leads directly to the increased sense of isolation and dissatisfaction. Because, as this writer said, we have come to a place where we have misunderstood pleasure and happiness. How many times have we heard from each other we don't participate because so-and-so doesn't have fun? And here the Apostle Paul says that there's an extreme measure to be made. That we are to beat our bodies and make them our slaves. Because our bodies constantly tell us what I want and what I desire naturally is where life is found. But from the beginning of Scripture to the end, it is proclaimed that life is found in God himself and there alone because he is life the very definition so what's the motivation what's the engine what's the impetus as we wrap up look in verse 30 or 23 if you will Again, the Apostle Paul says, and I'll pick up in 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What is the motivation? What's the engine? What's the impetus to sacrifice your personal freedom, our personal freedom, and to become servants to all, to care more for their advantage than for ours, and to, in the midst of that, sustain from becoming those who are also driven by our passions and our desires. The motivation is the gospel. It is for the sake of the gospel and to share in its blessings with others. To share in those blessings. The Apostle Paul says, look, we compete and we run because we've experienced this salvation. And we want others to know it. You say today, if you're a non-Christian, you say, why do you want me to know Jesus? Am I just a notch in your belt? Am I a victory for you? Is that what I am? And this passage says, no, that's not what you are. What you become when you understand who Jesus is and his love for you is you become a fellow worshiper with us who glories in the gospel and shares in its blessings. Because in the gospel, the reality is known that I have been pursued. 
I want you to know that I know something about you. Because it's true about me too. What you want more than anything else is to be pursued. And we were made for that. But not only in the gospel have we been pursued, but we have been found. We have been redeemed. And we have been reconciled. That is the hope of the gospel. That unlike your passions and your desires that are oriented on self that lead to isolation because no one else is yourself. You get it? Unlike that, the gospel brings you into community. And that is good news. That's why we read in Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I am found. It isn't, I once was lost, but then I figured it out. <laughs> That's not what it is. It's once I was lost, and now I have been found. We are pursued by Jesus, the lover of our souls. Have you ever gone to look for somebody who's lost? Have you ever had that experience? At a former day in my life, I thought that I was going to be an uh, outdoor environmental education director, and so I took a wilderness first responder course. And during that course, my roommate, this woman who they had paired me with, ended up going for a run, and she got lost. And hours and hours passed, and she was nowhere to be found, and dinner had come and gone, and the night had set in, and we were in an area of North Carolina that's known for its rhododendron growth. And the joke is that you could much more easily walk across the top of that rhododendron than make it through the rhododendron. It's so thick, and she was out in it, somewhere lost. And we went out, and we began to call her name. And her name echoed across the mountains. And we walked and called and hollered and, and spread out and looked for her. We gave up our time and our energy and our other pursuits to, to find her. And guess what? When we found her, she wept and we wept with her and we celebrated and we laughed. And the, all of us got together and said, we're so glad you're found. You're here. And it was awesome. Do you know yourself to be lost today? There is one who is finding you. Jesus, the lover of your soul. How do we become those who heed the call to run the race and win that which is imperishable? Reconciliation with God. The redemption of women and men whose lives are imperishable. Listen, I think we've got to pray that God changes our focus. Our focus that instead of seeking our own personal freedom, 
We are willing to become servants. Wisdom to know where those obstacles are in our lives that we can remove so that those whom we know might easier, might have an easier time of seeing Jesus. I think we've got to ask ourselves about our passions and our pursuits. Do they isolate us? What about the way in which we talk about politics? Hmm, there's a touchy subject. How quickly we become isolated. Are you free to have political views? Absolutely you're free. Is it possible that maybe there's a deeper servanthood than those by which you and I are called? How about the sacrifice of our pursuits? Would you be willing to do that? The thing that you say, this defines me? Well, let me ask you. That thing that defines you, is it imperishable? Is it going to last forever? This passage is a challenging passage for us. But the motivation is that Jesus left it all for you and me. He's the one that continues to invest. And our call is the call to invest in that which is imperishable instead of that which is perishable. I read this this week, and you want to know what I felt? I thought, man, Jesus, I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. Great thing is the table's right here. Are you with me? Do you need a lot of help for this to be true about your life as well? Come and eat. Let's be fed. Jesus, the lover of our souls, still pursues us. Let's pray.